Good evening, Seaborn Legend passengers. This is your captain speaking. Due to several confirmed cases of the coronavirus, we are recommending all passengers return to their cabins for the duration of the cruise. We'll be extending complimentary access to Speed 2 Cruise Control to all passengers to help pass the time during the quarantine period. Please be warned, viewer discretion is advised if you are sensitive to the following. Crackrass Romcon Shenanigans. A guy that looks and sounds a lot like James McAvoy. Peak Creepy Willem Dafoe. Skeet Shooting. Leeches. And UB40. Thank you, and take care. Hops. And box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films. The bombs. The disasters. The much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. And tonight, Rush Hour hits the water. It is speed to cruise control, in case... Chumpzilla's incredible intro did not tip you off. That is what we are doing tonight. Uh, so, along with me are Captain Cash. Hey, y'all. Which is really fitting because this is a movie about a cruise ship. So, Less are, fitting than Cutthroat Island, but still fitting. Fitting enough. But there's, a, there's a ship. That's what counts. And uh, hailing from Parts Unknown, Chumpzilla. Howdy, folks. He took his jet ski to get here. Uh, he was running a little bit late, but he is here now. So The most impressive part of that was when he also caught a plane and then a helicopter. It was, it was very impressive. Caught a plane with a fishing rod and reeled himself in <laughs> to make it here tonight. Uh, yeah. And, and just a shout out to those folks. I'm sorry about your boat. Um, the check's in the mail. I'll, I'll make it up to you. So before we get started, just a couple of house cleaning items. You can find the show on social, uh, both Twitter and Facebook, at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find myself at WriterTLK. Captain Cash, where can they find you? C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. And you can find the show across multiple platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Just Google it. It'll come up. We're Googleable. Chubzilla, the anchor is up. Take us away. All right, let's set sails here, folks. Thanks for the intro, Mr. Wizard. Uh, for tonight's pod, we'll be discussing Jan DeBont's follow-up to his wildly successful action movie, Speed. Three years after the first-time director and longtime action movie vet struck gold with Speed, which earned $350 million on a $30 million budget, and just a year after directing the even more successful Twister, which earned $494.5 million on a $92 million budget, DeBont tried to uh, go three for three with a sequel to Speed, which is how we came to 1997's Speed 2 colon Cruise Control. Okay, This was his biggest project to date, he was given a reported $160 million budget for this titanic failure of a movie. And a failure it is in almost yeah. every way. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, order of business here. Uh, we're going to be drinking a very appropriate beverage uh, for this movie. I've got uh, Sweetwater's Going Coastal IPA here because I think that's also a fitting, uh, like, you know, alternate title for this movie, maybe for the international release. You could go with, speed like, two. Speed 2. Going, going Coastal. Speed 2. <laughs> Boring as fuck. Get a beer and drink it immediately. Yeah, so uh, on that note, <clears throat> yeah, folks, you're going to need some beer for this. Uh, there we go. Cheers. That's not an understatement. You're going to need some beer. And yeah. uh, considering the current crisis, just uh, you know, order it, have it delivered, left on your porch. Leave a message to say, I'm watching Speed 2. They'll deliver it in record time. <laughs> Actually, I think I'm watching Speed 2 is just a euphemism for social distancing. Like, yes, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm standing and I'm going to watch Speed 2. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. You you need at least two hours where I leave you the fuck alone. Certainly nobody's yeah. going to request to come hang out if you're saying, if you're watching Speed no. 2. No. People are oh, that's cool, man. You, you do you. We'll, we'll catch you, you know, later. Take care. There's also the the inevitable. There was a speed too. <laughs> yeah, everyone who was alive at the time remembers that there was a speed too, but no one actually saw it. I don't think. I, I will say the beer, however, delicious. Yeah, it, it, uh, for the record, folks, it is a uh, uh, you know, it's your standard IPA with a bit of natural pineapple flavor. Uh, it's it's a little light, a little refreshing. But still checks in at a 6.1 ABV, so it's boozy enough to get the job done, which you will need for this movie. Best part of Speed 2 was the drinking I did during it. Yeah. Um, it took me four sittings to get through this movie. <laughs> I fell asleep twice. It's tough, and we talked about this before the pod. It, it's kind of the action movie cliche, like, <clears throat> it's diehard, but in a something else. It's speed, but with something else. That's literally what Speed 2 is. It's like, it's Speed, but with the boat that can't stop. Like The thing that killed me about this, this was a diehard sequel that they just slapped Speed on top of. The original script was meant to be a diehard sequel. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this movie was pretty much doomed from the start. Um, for, for some pretty cliche Hollywood reasons, which are just as cliche as the script, you know, the original speed, at least according to the director, which, you know, again, was the same guy that directed this thing. Uh, it was meant to be a standalone movie. He didn't feel personally that it had a lot of sequel potential. But after Fox picked up on a lot of pre-release buzz for speed, they started leaning towards the sequel. And then, of course, it, when it was a smash hit, like within weeks of release, they officially confirmed, yes, we're moving forward with the sequel. Uh, DeBont was contractually obligated to direct the sequels. However... Oof. Yeah, contractually yeah. obligated is definitely the kiss of death on this show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a good start. Uh, but even worse, uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, Sandra Bullock were not contractually obligated to reprise the roles. <laughs> so, of course, they reached out to both of them and tried to get them for the sequel. Yeah, so Keanu turned down the role because he didn't like the script. And he was tired, which was smart. And he was uh, uh, tired of filming action movies after 96's Chain Reaction. They even they offered him 12 million. So they tried Ooh. they tried to 
to, to get him, you know, because this is this is relatively unknown Keanu Reeves at this point. I mean, yeah, he was in Bill and Ted and Point Break, but he wasn't a big. A-list he was in star. Speed. He was riding that Speed wave, man. He had to well, know. Yeah, no, no, I mean, but in Speed, I mean, he wasn't a big time action star before Speed. I mean, like, this was, was pre Matrix. This was two years pre Matrix. But he was not even remotely close to the first choice for Speed, and he kind of lucked no. into that. Correct. Uh, but so, it did make so him a huge 12... star, I remember. Distinctly because yeah. I saw Speed in the theaters. And here's what I will say about Speed. I love Speed. And if you go back and watch it now, Speed isn't even a complete movie. Speed is such a thin concept that they do the same concept twice within the same movie. They get off the bus. They get on a subway. The movie has to keep going because there wasn't enough space to fill with just the bus. They're sort of like, okay, what happens next? He takes over a subway. It's the same thing twice in the span of an hour and 40 minutes. Whoa. And and oddly enough. took over a boat. Yeah. Whoa. And a plane. So, I mean, like, there Um, really was no grounds for a sequel to this movie. It'd be like, you've done the concept twice within the span of one movie. You didn't need to do it again. Yeah, well, the director w- would have agreed with you there, Mr. Wizard. Um, but he didn't have a choice. So, yeah, so Keanu, you know, the Internet's boyfriend, smartly passed. And he was right. The script is terrible. Um, but Sandra Bullock was not as lucky. Uh, she initially did turn down the role. But when Fox uh, came back and offered financial backing for her passion project at the time, Hope Floats, Along with a $13 million salary, she said, oh, you know what, okay, yep, sure, speed two, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, in 1997, Sandra Bullock, we'll we'll let you produce this movie you want, also here's $13 million. I I would also have a hard time saying no. Yeah, that's fair. I know she said about this movie, like it was the biggest piece of crap she ever did, which leads me to question whether she saw Hope Floats. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh but i mean come on 13 million for this wow i mean i mean you're, for, Sandra, you for a female that, action right? star that's insane yeah. yeah you just and she phones this movie in hard hard she's yeah. like hey gina I, uh, davis i see what you're doing i'm going hold over. my beer yeah hold my beer <laughs> hold my hold my foo-foo oh. cruise drink here we go yeah so oh, okay so I, I think I've got some like three good reasons why this movie failed. And this is strike one. They lost one of their major stars heading into the sequel. Never a good sign. Yeah. So they, they clearly, you know, had to rework the script and immediately come up with plan B because plan A was to have uh, Jack uh, McTavern come back or Mc, McTarvin. Well, whatever his name was. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves yeah. is always yeah. ever Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Unless yeah. Ted or it might Neo. just be Jack Trayton. Yeah. I don't know if there's a Mick in there. Yeah, Traven. You're right. Jack Traven. Correct. Traven. It's Tavern with an R in the front. Yeah. So anyway, I'm thinking of McTiernan. Okay. So, uh, yeah. You're thinking of the the first mate of the ship. Oh, you mean James McAvoy? (laughs) Yeah, the Scottish guy. Yeah. Okay. So so fun fact. McOveracting is his name. You mean Mr. Exposition? Yeah. Like, what are you in here nautical for? term. Yeah, nautical terms. I'm your nautical dictionary, so 
Here we go. <laughs> I just I just shout nautical terms that sound right at appropriate times in the movie. Um, so fun fact, Speed's original script was extensively reworked just a week before filming started. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, no, not this movie. The original right. Speed. The original Speed. Oh, wow. Okay. It yeah. did work out in this yeah. case. Exactly right. And 99% of the dialogue and several key plot points, including a total revamp of Keanu Reeves' character, came from none other than Joss. Can you make this more MCU Whedon? Uh, Speed 2, on the other hand, was written by the director, Jeff Nathanson, whose only previous experience was writing a movie directed by Jason Alexander. Yes, that Jason Alexander, which starred James Woods, titled For Better or Worse... It was a limited theater release, kind of a direct-to-video type thing. And I'm frankly, not really with sure. James Wood, it was probably for worse. Yeah. That man. Uh, and a third writer, which is some guy who didn't even have a Wikipedia page. Oof. So you lost the writer who saved the first movie and replaced them with the director, some guy that's barely done anything, and somebody that's done nothing else, apparently. So, yeah, that's strike two. Because... The first movie was literally saved by Joss Whedon. It's I not, had no clue. It's not great. It's not I, great. I mean, so so let's just, you know, take a moment here to realize that's how this guy, that's how Whedon has gotten the reputation of being the script doctor that he is. He's punched stuff up, like, oh no, I mean, for a long time. I had no clue he's the guy that basically saved Speed. Because before he got involved, it was more of a diehard ripoff, and uh, Keanu Reeves' character had, like, zero charisma. He like he totally reworked all of that, and well, took credit for the pop quiz hotshot line. That's all he, we. Yeah, uh, he still didn't have a lot of charisma. He's kind of like the thinking man's Michael Bay. Yeah, that's uh, fair. I like. I don't know. That's pretty harsh to Whedon. Like he's been involved in some actually successful and beloved stuff, and Michael Bay. Fucking Avengers. A total one trick pony. Like I know Whedon catches a lot of shit for the justice league fiasco and there's a lot of it is deserved but he was put in a pretty impossible situation mm-hmm. but so, apparently he pulled it off once with speed so i can totally get why he was like well, listen i'm gonna come in i'm gonna punch this up it's gonna be fine rewriting a script which happens all the time is such a different animal than coming in being like hey movie drops in 10 months you got to reshoot 70 of it yeah fair fair Okay, so we've got the two strikes now. They lost a star. They lost the writer that basically saved the first movie. Be fair. They lost one of the two stars. I still don't I, I said a star. Be... Okay, fine. A star, lost, not the star. A star, not the star. They lost a star. I will say this. Uh, I love Willem Dafoe. The script is terrible. His character is a recycled version of Dennis Hopper. And Dennis Hopper was just so much better. Now, this is a problem in a lot of action sequels. Uh, Die Hard 2 is another good example. Like, I don't even remember the name of the villain. And the actor's name is escaping me. He's been a lot of stuff. But it's just a recycled version of what's been done. And it generally isn't as cool. And Willem Dafoe's character is terrible. Also, he's Mysterio from the uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, he is absolutely a Batman villain with just golf club themed or golf themed yeah. attacks. I, I built this machine and then they fired me. He is the the wasp. Instead of the penguin, you've got the wasp. And all of his weapons are based around country club sport. 
Wouldn't he be that the is leech? The this thing. That'd be on brand for him, the leech. I know, that's that's fair. The leech. Also, there's yeah. no science that suggests what he was doing would have given him the disease he got. Not in that year. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll come back to that. That's very uh, homeopathic mommy blogger. Uh, Wi-Fi is is giving me cancer. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, that's interesting. It's very topical. It's very topical. Uh, but more on that later. <clears throat> so those. So we got two strikes. They lost a star, not the star, and they lost the writer that was very very significant in the success of the first one. But uh, as far as the concept for a sequel, you alluded to this before. This might have been a recycled script, but more importantly. Uh, DuPont was pitched several ideas for the sequel, most of which honestly sounded terrible. Okay. One was a boat carrying explosives that would detonate on contact with water. So like the cargo couldn't get wet. So why would you put that on a boat? But whatever. Uh, it's all about something has to be a limit. You know, they're like, Hey, it can't touch water. It can't go too fast whatever. Can't slow down. That would be a really um, stupid another one- method of transportation for an explosive that can't get wet. Yeah, uh, uh, wouldn't have been out of place in this movie, but regardless, it actually um, would fit very well. <laughs> yeah, uh, a plane uh, somewhere in like the mountains in the Andes. I read that, that can't one, yeah. climb over ten thousand feet. Yeah, the um, a plane could was flying over the Andes, but could only go so high. So at some point, you're yeah. doomed to crash. That's a terrible idea. Also, it's called Alive. We've already seen it. Although, I mean. Or, or, or you can just land. It didn't say it couldn't land. I would have paid money to see Jason Patrick eat Willem Dafoe to survive. That's the movie. Somehow I think Willem Dafoe wins that yeah. one. I, I don't know. Willem Dafoe always eats what he kills. Yeah, he was one. That's true. Um, there was another one where the uh, floor is lava. Um, I, I might be making one of these up. Um so uh, DuPont stuck with his gut, though, and took the George Lucas route. He went with his original idea for a sequel, one based on a reoccurring dream he had where a cruise ship crashes into an island. So I think strike three here is the lack of outside collaboration when it was sorely needed. <laughs> you know, that's very much you look at the, like, to be yeah, fair. We're checking a lot of the boxes here in bad movie bingo. You've got a director that's contractually obligated. You lost one of your stars. You lost your key writer. And you've got a pretty bad idea and nobody there to really, you know, help rework it for you. So instead of what happened with the the first movie, which has started out because somebody watched a, uh, a John Voight train movie and got reworked into a fairly workable, effective, entertaining film. This thing did not, not get any of those benefits. It just kind of got pushed through as is. And uh, <clears throat> I will add a bonus strike against this movie. Um, you know, they tried to keep the details under wraps. They didn't want to share a whole lot with the press. But the director did tell the Hollywood press that he thought this movie was going to be much funnier than the first one. You know, Speed 2 is a lot of things, but I wouldn't call it a funny movie. In fact, I would say it's a pretty unfunny movie at least intentionally i think it's unintentionally funny at times but most of the humor and jokes in this movie are pretty terrible oh, it's a lot less ha-ha funny and more cry cry yeah that funny as an example uh trigger the super from friends looks at a female passenger like why haven't you taken off any of your clothes to clog this basically this flood she's like because i'm not wearing any underwear and then he does this face that's the humor you're looking at. Like this was supposed to, it was clearly written. You saw them like, oh yeah, this is gold, Jerry. Gold. It's no, it's it's written like insert joke here. Yeah. And like there should have been a laugh track. 
and the, I believe the character you're referring to that makes that the the questions about the the girl in the dress not taking her clothes off. I'm pretty sure that's Danny McBride's uncle. Yeah, Is it? like that. That's no. a character actor that <laughs> shows not. up in places. Yeah, it's Trigger. Um, yeah, but he, he looks like Danny McBride's like older. He's uncle. literally the soup at uh, at the building in Friends. And, and friends, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah. He teaches Joey how to slow dance. I obviously didn't watch enough Friends. Um, no, no, you didn't. Uh, so anyway, Thunderous Wizard has you covered there. He does. He does. So in closing, Speed Two Cruise Control ultimately found itself underwater with an abysmal 164.5 million dollar box office return, netting just 4.5 million over the estimated 160 million dollar budget. Oof. Big oof. That stings, folks. It's a big loss. Uh, comparatively, over uh, you know, over Cutthroat Island or other maritime-based movie, not as bad. But, I mean, considering Speed was such a monumental hit, it's a sad statement. And this movie, it's I a... mean, this is a three-percenter on Rotten Tomatoes, folks. Although, yeah. and famously... I mean, and for good reason. Given two thumbs up by Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, just, yeah. A, just Ebert. Just Ebert, right? No, two thumbs up. Siskel gave it up? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I think that's what's really shocking about this is how big of a drop-off it is from the first movie. Not only in terms of quality, because you know, not every action movie sequel lives up to the first one. I, I would give a good don't. Ex- yeah, I'm going to give a good example of one that did okay. Predator 2, you lost Arnold. You totally changed up the uh, the backdrop, but you kept a similar premise. It worked. Predator 2 works. Well, that's an example of a movie that's clearly worse, but it's not a total train wreck. Exactly. And that's what's surprising. This movie could have just been serviceable action with the speed name on it, but it like it went yeah. completely downhill. They spent three times as much, four or five times as much, and it and it legitimately feels like a straight-to-DVD movie. That's how bad this movie is. It doesn't just feel that way, Mr. Wizard. It looks that way, too. That's the worst part. Which is weird, because there's a lot of, like, interior of the ship, and it looks really cheap. Well, and we'll get to this later, but a big part of it, in my opinion, is that the budget's estimated between 130 and 160 million. You know, initial ports, I think, were like 130. But they had to rebuild that entire town that they wrecked because a hurricane knocked it down. So I'm thinking there was a lot of money sunk into that last scene, not just mm-hmm. initially, but also the rebuilds and any reshoots they needed, because that was a huge practical set. And it looked good. I'll give them that. I mean, the CGI in this movie was minimal. When they did use it, it was terrible. But there was a lot of practical effects here. Yeah, no, that's Considering fair. the movie we started and the scale was huge this month, the CGI that is used is a lot less damning to the overall picture than Escape from L.A. Yes. Uh, some of the stunts do look, they're good stunts. The movie's just boring because there's no yeah. sense of urgency ever because they're on a cruise ship. Yeah, it's captive. They got nowhere to go. It's moving slowly. And, uh, and on that note, to keep things moving along, Captain Cash, would you be so gracious to give us a light plot summary of this turd? Uh, would I be so gracious? Do I have to? Um, You're contractually obligated, I'm afraid. Oh, son of a bitch. You're the ship's entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, to be fair, whatever I come up with now, 
worst case scenario, I wind up saving you some time from having to actually watch Speed 2. So just kind of bear with me. Here we go. Uh, We open on Sandra Bullock's character, uh, Annie, uh, the former paramour of Jack of Speed 1, going through L.A. in what can only be described as a clueless-esque version of a driver's test, wherein she finds out her her new paramour shit. Let me back it up. Go ahead. Uh, you can back it up in just a sec. I took a lot of umbrage with this driving scene because this is the same woman who navigated the freeways of Los Angeles with, like, relative <laughs> ease in a, in a crisis... And she doesn't know how to like signal and take a proper left. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Yeah, and, what, I, I guess that's supposed to be a joke, but it's just such a stupid scene. It looked like something that Zoe Deschanel would do. You know, I mean, they even go as far as to put her in a Volkswagen thing, a yellow Volkswagen thing, to show how quirky and offbeat she is, and can't drive because she's wacky. Yeah, wait a minute, that's not the same character from the first movie, right? I mean, am I crazy? She's a caricature of that character. Yeah, it, it commits the ultimate sin of okay, well, we didn't get the the star back, as you said, so let's take this character, let's turn her up by about seventy percent. And base the movie around her and this new character. And like all the things you thought were charming about her are now turned to 11. And they're not charming anymore. She's just friggin' annoying. Yeah, no, that's fair. In any case. Proceed. As part, as part of her driving test, she runs into her new boyfriend named Alex. Who, upon lying to her, he's just sort of a, a regular cop. He's actually part of... Of the SWAT team, he's a beach cop. A, he's a Venice. beach cop. He works for Pac Blue. Like he rides the bike around the beach. Is his lie to her? I mean, to be fair, he's 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 Baywatch. Baywatch was yeah. big in '97. I get why that would be a draw. Yeah, and how funny is it? You've got the cliche scene where you've got the narrator in this case, effectively the narrator and Sandra Bullock's character talking about the other character, and you intersperse the scene with shots of him doing the exact yeah. opposite of what she's describing. Why it like, didn't that's work. That's a pretty good... It didn't work with my old yeah. boyfriend, but now I got this new boyfriend, and... Uh, He's he totally went, different. Yeah, totally different. But in fact, he is exactly the same. But in fact... Everything's yeah. bigger, no, We couldn't again, get Keanu this... back, so this is Keanu... Uh, he's a li- he's losing different. his hair a little bit. Still handsome, but not Keanu. Same haircut. Definitely not Keanu. Yeah. It's not good. In, in any case. It's um, all very cliche. Yeah. So they encounter each other. They are confronted with the lie that he is not a beach cop. Uh, and he pulls out tickets to a cruise as a, as a way to be like, Oh, do what I was planning on taking us on a cruise. He's carrying the tickets during his high-speed pursuit of the the thieves, whatever they were stealing. It was like, uh, you know, like dishwashers, whatever. But he had the tickets with him. Why? Don't well, you always carry tickets with you? That's what I do with, with all I, important things. I have I a lot of... on my person. I have a lot of issues okay. in this movie. It's, it's very Bilbo in the ring. Hold on, hold on. I've got... Before that even, I, I, this the script to this movie... As bad as the the rom-com stuff with uh, Sandra Bullock is to begin the scene, then you get the generic cop dialogue from Alex's uh, superior, his commanding officer. He's like, all right, straight by the book. No stunts, no wrecks. It's like, You're a loose cannon. 
Yeah, like first of all, Joe Joe Morton, Miles Dyson, is one of only four characters to return from the first movie. Okay, that's a little nice. Movie. Tim, that, that's Miles Dyson. It's nice. Bullock. Nice. It's some woman on the cruise ship who I can't really remember, and of course the guy that picks yeah. him up on the boat later in the movie. The guy's like, oh, I just bought a condo here. He's condo. on the bus. No, yeah, yeah. He's on the bus. Yeah, that's right. But but then, so you talk about the tickets in his pocket there, Mr. Wizard. I'm going to guess in my headcanon, that was just the brochure. Like, he hadn't actually bought it. He was just thinking about it. So that was the excuse he pulled out. So then he had to run home and book those tickets. No, no, no. <laughs> he explicitly says, you, you, you just give me tickets? Yeah. You give me tickets? I don't, I don't think she's that observant. No, that's fair enough. They yeah, really no. turned but, her no, character I, into a total asshat. Really? Yeah, I think he was just trying to save his ass there. But anyway, moving on. So, uh, there is a ship, the Seaborn Legend. And aboard said ship, there is a passenger named John Geiger, as played by one Willem Dafoe, which, which the flowing locks and the teeth together, I feel like this is this is Dafoe's villain turn with no questions. He does the Green Goblin face. Like, legit. A lot. Like, yeah. a lot. And he specifically took this role because he wanted to play a villain. He's like, I really want to play a villain in the movie. And they're like, well, we got this. He's like, I'll take it. What is the most people I can be? Probably this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. In honor of that British, like, research vessel that they put on social media to name, can we strike Seaborn Legend from the record and just call this Bodie McBoatface? <laughs> I mean, fun fun fact: the Seaboard Legend is a real boat. That that is an actual cruise ship. That, that's not that's not a made up name. That that is a real boat. They shot this uh, on a real boat. A lot of the interior st- uh, shots and the exterior shots on the real boat. That that's real I cruise accept ship. it. I accept it, Thunder Wizard, but only if we can call it Willem McDefoe Face. I'll take that. Yep, that's a good compromise. Oh. And it's settled. Or Bodie. McDefoe face. Either way. The only thing this movie's lacking of him totally being Green Goblin is him like grabbing a bald guy by the neck and saying, Back to formula. Back to formula. Also a goblin glider. I mean we're close with at the end with the plane, but still No, no, no. The when he tells the uh the cabin boy, let's not split hairs. Wham. Yeah. <laughs> and uh duh. There, there's just the weird reuse of characters for no reason because you absolutely get the awkward moment where Sandra Bullock and not fucking Keanu Reeves run into Willem Dafoe just as they're boarding the ship. And, it, it, and that's it. Well, the foreshadowing is strong there. I mean, they, they fixated on him very early in the movie because yes. he's so goddamn weird looking. Well, he I mean, also this is points li- out like a sociopath like, he says he plays golf, but he's not watching that tournament. It's like, yeah. well, we already know he's the bad okay. guy. Okay, okay. I, I just want to point this out that um, one of the things in this movie, because the plot really doesn't matter. I mean, there's a boat; it can't stop. It runs into things. They have to try to stop this whole side plot. Not the, the Willem Dafoe's uh, goal here is not just to you sabotage the boat because he was wronged by his employer and he's actually the software engineer the design navigation system and controls or whatever is that he really is dying of some strange disorder that's a result of his job and he was fired for it so he's gonna exact his revenge by i guess he has to sabotage the cruise ship to create some sort of distraction to steal some gems to become extremely wealthy so we can escape and 
he's he's not he doesn't want to blow it up so he fakes the explosions but he still wants to crash it so it's like he doesn't want to hurt people but then again he doesn't care if everyone dies yeah his his plan's never super clear um and it does change because obviously you've got an lapd officer on board that that gets involved um hijinks ensue the boat ends up not crashing into an ocean uh into an oil tanker they're able to prevent that defoe was able to make his escape hold on we're getting there so defoe is able to make his escape with sandra bullock and toe as a as a uh hostage so uh uh what's his name patrick decides to you know he's gonna save the day and get her and he chases them down meanwhile you know the boat alex shaw alex shaw yeah officer alex shaw yeah the boat still crashes into town then he goes after defoe Defoe crashes his plane into the oil tanker that they didn't blow up earlier, so it still blows up. So basically, this whole movie doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and the things they tried to stop from happening, crashing into the, the uh, oil tanker and crashing into the town, both still happen. Yes. Uh, the only, the only is, plus side is Defoe does die, and they do get the diamonds. Here is Although it's not clear whether or not those are going to be handed over to the authorities or not. Um, uh, Alex Shaw does propose to... Uh, Sandra Bullock's character, she accepts, and the movie ends with her going back to her driver's test and still being shitty at driving. The uh, so cue laugh track and credits. As they pull the gems out of the water, zoom in on Jack Traven, like son of a bitch. No, that didn't happen. But uh, yeah, one of the big questions I had was: Defoe escapes on the jet ski boat thing with his hostage who somehow outwits him being sandra bullock and jason patrick alex shaw has to avoid the oil tanker has to survive the crash through the town yet he still then commandeers a general citizen's boat and catches them as they're flying away what was defoe doing just doing like crazy eights out in the middle of the ocean (laughs) Like, he should have been long gone. He should have been long gone much earlier in the movie. It's so baffling. He could have left at any point. Once he had the gems, he should have been, I'm out of here. Instead, he's carrying around this, like, painfully dated computer. Because this movie, a lot of movies we do, it's like, holy shit, the technology. But this movie, it's it's pretty bad. Okay, he has a wrist computer in here that's, that's straight up Escape from L.A. bad. Yeah. And, I mean, he he's got six to seven opportunities to just take off and be scot free. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, yeah. I don't want to give too much credit to Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon, but um, somebody need to look at the script and point out some of the just insanity. Like none of this makes any sense. It's it, uh, yeah. The ending of this movie is something else that, that, that is, that is for certain. And you, because I think it, it, you said it comes to a crescendo so many times and you're waiting for it to actually pay off. And it really doesn't like yep. they're all very like flat Ever. in terms of the the action the Ever. action doesn't build it's just it's almost like equal levels there's like three different peaks but none of them are really building on the previous one it's just the different musical beats. cues are terrible the musical yeah. cues are just terrible in this movie and did you hear a hint of the uh danny elfman batman theme in there i hear batman in that i even think the script is cliche the hero theme there i hear a little bit of batman i did i'm telling you 
but I also listen to, listen to it again with that in your head. I think you'll find that there is a hint of that Batman theme. About an hour and fifteen minutes in, when I determined that this thing was going to suck what was left of my quarantined life out of my body, I just started like doing other shit while I was watching. It. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's keep it moving here. I'm going to get to that first half of the movie because I think there's a definite like first and second half of this movie. I, I think in general, the first half of the movie is really trying to build some uh rapport with the audience in terms of getting us to care about not keanu reeves so when you ask why does this movie go two hours long well they kind of tread water for the first hour just to make us really think that not keanu and sandra bullock are now a couple and make us care about those characters and then the second half of the movie is basically just a speed run through a bunch of somewhat nonsensical action sequences and yeah pretty much uh yeah where speed that sound one, right speed one has the big elevator scene in the beginning and he encounters the the guy that eventually is going to be his foil for the whole movie this movie's yeah. just sort of devoid of all that there's no real tension built at all like the first hour is very boring because you're not invested in the characters because uh this guy didn't exist in speed one yeah. And I think Captain Cash made a good point earlier, too. And it might have been right before we started the pod is that the whole on the cruise ship thing just doesn't carry the same weight because nothing seems as urgent because the cruise ship's just kind of moving along. It doesn't feel real eminent until the very end. That tension doesn't really build until the very end. And that's like an hour and 40 minutes into the movie. They have so much time to radio in some way, shape, or form that there's distress on this ship to then get everyone off the ship and then to destroy the ship. It's just absurd. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure at that point in time there were cell phones or bag phones or sat phones. It's not yes. like Willem Dafoe could cut the phone lines on that cruise ship. He could, Yeah, he could not cut every line of communication. Because really, he's just in the the ship's computer system. Individuals on that vessel had cellular telephones. Trigger in nineteen ninety seven. He's a super. He's responsible for a lot of apartments. Yeah. So, well, anyway, this movie dragged on. So let's keep things moving on our end. Um, here again, speed two. Just uh, a tough a tough watch. So here's a quick rundown of the cast. We've got Sandra, I'm just here for the Hope Floats Money Bullock, reprising her role as Annie Porter. Jason, hey, I was in Lost Boys too. Patrick is not Jack Traverne slash Alex mm. Shaw. Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn. And then Tamura OG Mando Morrison as plot convenient crew member number one. <laughs> Brian, totally not James McAvoy McCarty as plot convenient crew member number two. Victoria Jackson and or Kimmy Robertson as uh, Sherry Silver. And Mike Haggerty, a.k.a. Danny McBride's uncle, is some guy on the boat. Um, yeah. Wait, and, is this uh, Victoria Jackson's second appearance on the pod? No, that was that was Kimmy Robertson in UHF. Yeah. Sorry. That's the joke. No. Yep, got it now. It could, yep. it could have been either or. That is the joke. Yeah. So here's my one-sentence description of this movie, and I think it is a bit topical. The lack of universal health care and rampant corporate greed in America drives a man to a life of crime and possibly supervillainy. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Mm. And Indeed. it ultimately leads to his demise. And there we are. 
and there we are. What What's your description, Captain Cash? Planes, trains, and automobiles, but way less fun and a million times more expensive. Okay. And uh, with no John Candy. My description for this film would be when sequels to good movies go bad. This movie is boring. Top to bottom. This movie is is the quintessential sequel. We didn't have a story to tell, but we absolutely know we needed to tell a sequel to the thing for money. I, I guess a more fair description would be like, hey, remember Speed? When that bus had to go 55 miles per hour? Well, now we're on a cruise ship, and it's seven days from its destination. But we're going to pretend like the crisis is really pressing. Have fun. <laughs> and it can't stop. Yeah. I, I, I think it could have been Speed 2. We were contractually obligated. Okay, so we're already kind of hitting on this. General impressions on the movie. Um, first off, how many beers does it take to get through Speed 2? Uh, six beers, four and a half pina coladas, uh, a gallon of sunscreen, because obviously you're going to be on the deck while you're watching it. Maybe playing some volleyball, I don't know. Maybe some shuffleboard. And, uh, skeet shooting? Uh, Yep, maybe skeet shooting, true. You definitely want to skeet shoot a little. All right, Captain Cash, how many beers for you? I Honestly, this is a five-beer thing. I don't need to be so drunk that I'm angry at what I'm watching. You're going to be angry and annoyed at what you're watching, but at least with five beers, you're not like full-on, put me into the processor. Let's. Just, this is oblivion. There's no... Nothing. I'll say that's fair. I'll say it's fair. I'm going to give this movie a full six beers. Do you really need all six? Probably not. Four would probably do the trick, but it's two hours long, so you've got time to sneak in two it more beers. Feels Why long. is this movie so long? And it, it really, it's because it's it's a tale of two movies. you got the first half that's a wannabe uh, romantic comedy that's trying to make you care about not Keanu Reeves, and then you've got the action movie in the second half. So we've, we've treaded over that water, but Keanu declining to be in this movie really kills the yeah. movie because they spent an hour trying to convince you that the other guy's worth investing in and you just don't care. You don't yeah. care. You guys have both already mentioned this point. This movie commits one of the cardinal sins of filmmaking and certainly for action filmmaking. It's boring. Yeah. It's yep. legitimately boring for long stretches. I have a pet peeve in boring. cinema, and it's the needless slow-mo for a, for a shot that doesn't need to be slow-mo. And there's a point where he jumps, I don't know, three and a half feet from the ship to the ship. They're trying to evacuate the passengers to save the what would be the social media manager of the boat. It's not a far jump, not a hard jump. And they slow-mo it like it's this huge action moment. And it's laughably bad. It's laughably bad. So, so you're Not saying it's good. like Captain America and the Avengers bad? Yes. <laughs> um, I think we've already answered this question, but as part of the general impressions here, how much do you think losing Keanu hurt this movie? I, I think it's almost fatal. And I think you guys both agree. Speed's like a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Even with Keanu, this is not a good movie. But yeah. maybe he would have had the good sense to 
I don't know, tell the director, like, this is not working. But I don't know it's tough because Jason Patrick is notoriously prickly to work with. And his dad is, like, a famous, like, stage playwright. So... And his maternal grandfather is Jackie Gleason. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of... I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can salvage a script. Like, this script is so bad. Yeah, I, I, I think the point is, though, I think if you had Keanu and Sander together, I think they would have enough weight to drive this a different direction. Certainly the chemistry. Think, There's no chemistry here. Yeah, I, I think you could, you could make the argument that even Keanu, who obviously had a good relationship with Whedon, would have been like, you got to get Joss back on this. Like, this, is, this isn't working. We got we to gotta do what we did the last time. And I think he would have had the, you know, the weight to make that happen, but you know, Jason Patrick didn't, and they just, hey, I'm getting paid. I'm, I'm just doing whatever Sandra Bullock's doing. I mean, there, there's a quote out there about why Keanu didn't take this movie, and it is basically like, well, I, th- I read it and I thought it was really stupid, but it's kind of insightful. It was a smart move. You had the good sense not to do this movie. No, that's fair. You know, because like you read a lot about Keanu, he doesn't care about the money. So if you say, hey, here's $12 million, you say, well, I don't care. This is the guy that rides the subway to this day. You know, this is the guy that, yeah. you know, fixed uh, Octavia Spencer's flat tire on the side of the road. When it's she not a crazy story. Moved to Hollywood, you know, like, he's just a regular guy. Yeah, well, and you basically answered my next question, which was going to be, hey, would it have mattered if Keanu had been there or not with a script that's terrible? And with really the script think, as yeah. is... It didn't matter. In a perfect world, he would have said, hey, guys, we got to redo this. Let's let's get some people back in here. Let's get Shane Black involved or something. Here's what I'll say. Um, movie makes more money opening weekend. Still dies because it's not good. Still dies. Yeah. Okay. So we've already drawn comparisons between Sandra Bullock phoning it in here and Gina Davis phoning it in and Cutthroat Island. Where would you rank Bullock's performance from Gina Davis and Cutthroat Island at the low end, to Sigourney Weaver in Aliens as a female action lead. Oh, jeez. I'll go with you first, Mr. Wizard. Feel free to pick any actress slash, uh, you know, action movie there to give me uh, some sort of performance metric. Okay, so this is obviously towards the lower end. I, I do appreciate that they integrated her into the story in a more meaningful way, like, she wasn't just the bus driver. She was actively trying to help. But her acting was so bad that it is much closer to Gina Davis. I mean, this doesn't even approach like something middle of the road like uh, Kira Knightley in the Pirates movies, which is like okay in the first Pirate movie and then kind of like, you know, like the Pirate movies gets progressively worse. It, it's okay. nowhere near Sigourney Weaver. Right, yeah, I, I agree completely there. I mean, let's face it, I, I'll ask for some consensus here. She's like the I have girl a hard in time the finding, new Terminator. Well, okay. Um, I just say I have a hard time finding a female action lead that surpasses Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. Is that not close to, if not the top? I, I would say that... It's her. Here's the, uh, here's, no, no. I, listen, I will quibble with that point only to throw at you Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, no, good point. Good point. I, I would agree with that, but she's not as that movie's very understated. The characters don't say a lot. 
I like her character a lot. I but she also only has one film. I'd I'd love for her to have more than one film because Ripley. I, I'm and, hoping they'll give her more because Ripley and that and uh, great. <laughs> Sarah Connor really come into their full characters yeah. in the sequel. Yeah, th- that's the only nod I would give uh, Sigourney Weaver over. Furiosa is that it's the second time we see the character. It's not an intro. It's a sequel. And and especially in this comparison, uh, Captain Cash, where you've got uh, Sandra Bullock coming back a second time. But you're right. I think they're I think they're probably up there. Furiosa is a good character, but the story is really being carried by uh, Ripley in both the first and second movies. She's a bigger member of the franchise. And to your point, Mr. Wizard, I'll always give this as a knock against Linda Hamilton. She's not on the movie poster. She's also a bad That's guy. the thing. She's not, she's not a good person in the second movie. She ends up well, no, like but she's being not, good, but she also tries yeah. to assassinate a guy. Yeah, well, she's still, but I'm just saying, she's, uh, she's aren't, those are Arnold movies. You know, they tried to give her more of a role in, in the, the last one, Dark Fate, but I think Sigourney Weaver still, she is the, she's not just the final girl. She is the action hero in those movies. Here's the thing about uh, Sandra Bullock in this movie. At the end of the day, she's she's more involved. She's demanding to be a part of the action. She's still the damsel in distress. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that's fair. And, and I find... I find her capabilities to fluctuate throughout the film. She's completely helpless at times and somewhat brave and capable at other times. It's like whatever's convenient for the plot, she's able to do or not do. So in that regard, I would rank her uh, firmly alongside uh, Ray Dong Chong in Commando. Oh, my God. I almost said that. Damn it. Great minds. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. I wish I would have said it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> at the end of I the feel day, like that's a, she's still just the love object of the hero. Yeah, and As, she helps out along the way, but she's terrified and confused for most of it. To keep things moving along here, I've got one more somewhat plot relevant question: How absolutely unnecessary was that subplot about the deaf girl and her family? Because not only was it creepy and statutory, her dad is a huge asshole, and the whole thing didn't make any sense and it added zero. I repeat zero to the movie. In fact, it is a negative. And if they brought in somebody like Joss Whedon or, uh, you know, even Shane black, there's no way that kind of shit would have flown. That would have gotten just, written out. It was wildly out of nowhere and completely unhelpful. Like you either make mm-hmm. the kid an elementary school student who signs at our hero so that we understand there's this chase. Oh, it's a kid. He likes kids. They like kids. Or you make her an adult and there's this weird, oh, does he like the deaf girl or does does that make Sandra Bullock uncomfortable? But there's, you know, ultimately either true love wins out and it's just a misunderstanding or actually, you know what? He really does go for the deaf girl. But to make her... I think she was 14 or 13. 14. Yeah, it's it's very awkward. Yeah. And the the way the camera plays on both is very uncomfortable. Well, they clearly tried to make it a thing. Like, she even, like, confesses to him when she thinks she might die that, hey, that's what you know. I love you. Yes. There was a weird, unrequited love angle there. Uh, It it just, a total waste of screen time. Why? Where is that... Yeah, where's that going? Uh, I cannot defend this plot point in the slightest. 
there's no reason for to be in the movie aside from to add an extra like, oops, we forgot about this. Now we got to do this scene. Uh, in fact, her yep. parents are going to be evacuated from the boat. Then nobody's evacuated from the boat. So the whole like, well, oh, she's not here. She's not here. Doesn't matter. Also, it, it basically is like saying, well, she's deaf. So she's an idiot because they're like, she can't hear the sirens, but there's emergency lights flashing everywhere. Right, it's, and it's, she would still feel the vibrations of any of the loud sirens the, or and the explosions. bullhorns that were sounding. Um, also, when she's being rescued, Alex issues all of his commands verbally as somehow she's supposed to be able to not, because she can't really lip read him at that point, but he's still commanding her verbally as if she could understand what he's saying. I understand he might be panicking and, and he might just be doing it, you know, out of reflex, but it doesn't make any sense. And she wouldn't have been in that position of needing saved had her dad not been a misogynist prick and be terrified of her bare shoulders and call her a clown. He called his daughter a he clown. He does call her a clown. Now, I don't mean figuratively. He literally calls her a clown and mocks her for her makeup and scolds her for her bare shoulders. It is, That's the only reason she runs off. It is a it's, plot it's point. It's the dad's fault. It's a plot point that gets written out 100% of the time when you have someone who's a good script. Moderately competent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to point out how you know, awful like, that is. I, I don't mind it the is character indefensible. being in there, but they have to have a meaningful purpose for the character aside from, well, her parents think she's annoying and she gets lost on the ship because she can't understand the situation when there's explosions happening, which are causing... Do we know where she was going? Do we know where she was going? No idea. Okay. Yeah, wow. literally, her, her character development is deaf and is horny for Jason Patrick. It's, That's it. Which it's is still super it's weird. Good. It's not good. Yeah, very weird. Okay, so uh, to keep things moving forward, because we can't stop. Uh, I've no, got some can't. fun no. facts here. Uh, yeah, we really can't. Uh, not to say this movie was particularly fun, which, again, probably the biggest sin not. you can have with an action it movie. It fun. was boring. Again, a lot of this movie was shot on the real Seaborn Legend, which is, in fact, a real cruise ship, as we mentioned before. And uh, they shot on that for six weeks. Um, the stars, Bullock, Defoe, and Patrick, all performed almost entirely all their own stunts. Nearly costly. Defoe always yeah. performs his own stunts. <laughs> that includes the awful, awful motorcycle scene at the beginning of the movie. That is just TV movie bad. And that's ah. the scene that nearly killed Jason Patrick. So Yes. Yeah. He he dumped the bike and got launched like 30 feet in the air and they thought he was going to die. But luckily, he landed in some shrubs. Um, shrubs. Do it every time. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, that, that was just this bad is action. This is box office flops speaking to you on behalf of Shrubs. Shrubs. Plant some. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Patrick uh, almost died actually a couple times. I think they had some problems filming the underwater stuff as well. And they were literally dragging him through the water for those scenes. Like, that's him getting hanging on the back of a speedboat on some sort of rigging. Like Went he, full Jackie yeah, he, Chan there, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, he did it all. And, and they claim that even Sandra Bullock's stunt double only worked three days on the whole movie. Now, she didn't do quite as much. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, she had to overcome a crippling fear of water to do most of it as it's well. It's pretty difficult when you're, the extent of your scenes are yelling, Alex, baby, Alex. are you okay? Alex? You know, I think the worst scene she has in the movie comes probably in like the second, third. 
close to maybe the last third of the movie where she's on the bridge and she's trying to steer the ship. Like she grabs the, the twitching steering device and she tries to stabilize it and it fights back. And she's like, ow, ooh, ah, like, like she broke a nail or something. And she's like clearly overacting because it's just a twitching prop, but she held on to it and tried to act like she was struggling against it. And then she just lets go. Like, oh, ow, yeah, I guess I can't do anything. Her worst it, scene it was terrible. far is when the explosions are happening everywhere. And it's clearly like this isn't a general malfunction on the ship. And she's like, gosh, this is my vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Second worst scene, in my opinion, is when uh, Jason Patrick's character, Alex Shaw, is trapped in the mall the ship's mall that's exploding and there's a, a grenade pinned under the door handle yeah. and there's an explosion inside the sealed room that they can't get into. And it somehow knocks her and Django Fett on their butts. Like how, how did they experience a shockwave if the door didn't even open? Not to mention, Cause that's not, the, that's not how physics works. The fix is extremely simple. Pin the grenade down, pick it up, unlock the door, put the pin back in the grenade you're done. Well, I, I, either way, or you just you just oh, you, you take it out with the spoon depressed, get Jason Patrick out, and just throw the grenade back into the exploding room. Because what's one more gr- grenade to the exploding room? There you go. You, right. you don't even have you don't even have to keep it, you know, uh, uh, disarmed. You can just chuck it into the inferno and move on. But and you regardless, have also thought more about the science in this film <laughs> than literally everyone involved in this film. Yeah. Also, also the whole cable scene where they try to tangle up the uh, impellers. Uh, there's, there, there's no way that works. Like that, that's a death sentence. I didn't want to get there yet. When okay. Willem Dafoe's like, "You can't stop me," and he's got the shotgun and it's a glass window, he could have shot him in the face, <laughs> and the movie's over. But he just gun butts it angrily instead. He could have killed him. <laughs> As Willem Dafoe's doing his third Green Goblin smile of the movie. Yeah. Um uh, me! <laughs> so, uh, uh, DeBont didn't want to use miniatures or CGI for the film's climactic final, you know, town scene. So instead, he constructed a $5 million, 35-building set on the Caribbean island of St. Martin. Okay. The buildings were constructed to match the local architecture and also served as temporary production offices for his staff. So a hurricane hit the island while they were filming. They actually had to rebuild most of that set with hurricane-proof buildings that they then later had to weaken so they would collapse properly when the prop ship hit it. Because, yes, they did, in fact, build a prop ship. They built a 150-foot replica of the ship's bow, which weighed 300 tons and traveled along a hundred feet. I'm sorry, a <laughs> thousand feet of underwater track that led it ashore. So that is a massive set. So when you want to know where did the money go in this movie, that answers because there's no way that $5 million number is accurate. I would say there was at least $50 million spent on that ship and town set alone. I would agree. I think that last scene cost more than the entirety of speed. Yes. Indeed. Yeah, easily, easily. Fair. It is spectacular, and especially Massive. if you think about it from 1997 perspective. I, this is this movie came out the same time Titanic came out. Yeah, and it's still just so incredibly stupid because this cruise ship is 
barreling towards the shore and all these people don't bother to like pay attention and they don't get out of the way of the cruise ship or they run into it or whatever but it's like this thing's fucking huge there's no way a water skier should ski right into the side of the cruise ship (laughs) the, the 90s were a lawless time that's all you need it's, to understand. It's like it's mind-boggling. Even Caddyshack, when when Rodney Dangerfield is plowing through the harbor, is more sensical than this. When you talk about this movie, Mister Wizard, I think it's fair to say there's only one scene to really talk about. Right? It's this final scene. This is the whole movie. It easily cost more than all of Speed. I, I think you're 100 percent correct there. That is, this is the moment in the movie, but it's like 30 minutes long. Yeah. No. Right? Is because that, or, they, I mean, they have to avoid the uh, naval ship. Yeah. Uh, which is so sort of needless to, to the point of the movie. Like, it was another thing where you get the dramatic, like, here's the hero cue. Yep. Another and they, crescendo and they that just that comes ship. and goes. And then they avoid that. And then he crashes into the city. And then he commandeers the, the boat. And then he strikes the fishing line on the on the seaplane and let's be clear here the boat stops and the movie goes on for like another 10 minutes yeah maybe 15 (laughs) yeah maybe 15 like you feel like the movie's been building up to getting the boat to stop and the boat stops and you want to feel some sort of catharsis like ah yes the movie has come to end you get that sense of completion there no, there's there's another thing to do. And to your point, what was Willem Dafoe doing? Running yeah. crazy eights in his cigar boat? I mean, and, and again, uh, it doesn't make any get sense. Away while they had to redirect the ship away from the tanker manually, crashes it, like gets down from the crash in this wrecked town. Yeah. So I think we're selling this thing short. I think we got to back this up for folks. So Mr. Wizard, Captain Cash... Let's take a trip together. Let's start the let's effectively start what is the second half of this movie where the action actually starts to take off. Okay? This it's not even a scene. This final sequence. It's it's like a uh Rube Goldberg machine of shitty action movie clichés that just tips off. Like literally it, it, like 1 hour into the movie it just it starts somebody tips a marble off the edge of the counter and then it just kind of rolls downhill. We haven't mentioned yet the scene where Sandra Bullock somehow procures a gas-powered chainsaw on a cruise ship. Oh, God. Oh, God, yes. It, and, and, then, and then she proceeds to free some passengers with it, but just continues to kind of menace them with said chainsaw, not allowing them to exit the hole that she's cut. And they have to somehow, in an attempt at comedy, ask her to please remove the chainsaw from the opening so they can, you know, make safe passage. And she's like, oh, I'm such a klutz, I forgot to... Remove the chainsaw. Yeah, it's still uh, sitting in the door frame. I'm sorry. I, why do you... Uh, I, a chainsaw on a cruise ship? Two I, chainsaws. I There's two. I have questions. There's two. I've got questions. Um, you get that weird attention to the deaf girl B-plot and the odd callback to the relationships under strenuous circumstances line from the beginning of the movie. Like, he uses that on her. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a little weird. Yep. Um, doesn't make sense either because it's not coming from Jack Traven. Yep. Yes. And yeah, and the whole steel cable tangle the propellers 
thing is just a death wish. There's no way that works. That's just, he just jumps in the water. He gets sucked in there and he's turned into chum. Yeah. Whatever. Except <laughs> then two uh, scuba divers clearly get lost under the boat. Oh, they're dead. No yeah. real acknowledgement that these two guys are dead. Yeah, mo- more on that in a second. He also has an odd costume change in the middle of this. He's wearing a white dress shirt during his scuba scene. He does ditch that on screen. He runs off screen, and the next time we see him, he's putting on a black shirt and has changed his shoes as well. That, that would be Alex Shaw. Just and that's weird when he mid- goes like full hunky action star. Yeah, and to that effect, it would seem that every location on that ship is strangely uh, close to the next necessary location as the plot requires. It's like that 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 ship's like a wormhole. It, it bends and forms to whatever orientation the plot needs it to, and people get from point A to point B as fast as they need to. Because why is the ship's social media manager at the like exit dock where Defoe steals the wave runners? And then he jumps from the other deck, like thinking like, oh, of course this will work. I'll land on the boat, except it's a boat. And then he, yeah. he helps him back up to that spot. And it's like, so this guy was just hanging out there? or Well, and, and, and Defoe gets to the steel cable spot very quickly to, to you know. Yes. He gets uh, everywhere. Kidnap Sandra Bullock. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like uh, the alien in, in Alien Isolation. He just shows up wherever. Yeah. As, as conveniently needed by the by the plot yeah uh, bad acting and, re- and, and bad reaction shots across the board from from the extras and the bit cast again a lot of literally just saying whatever happened on the screen like oh look that happened oh look that's happening uh you have the the sequence of oh shits from different characters oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit that was not very funny but they tried um you definitely do have a Caddyshack vibe of that cruise ship just kind of crashing through the harbor and the marina. And like you said, the scuba guys and literally just murdering people. One ship just explodes for no good reason. They literally just bump into it and it blows up like Michael Bay style. The hippie ship. Uh, it must have been, <laughs> yeah, it must have been loaded with some seriously good stuff because it just went up. And when it comes time to, hey, let's drop the anchors to slow down, there's two anchors and they only try to drop one at a time. One at a time. And of course, then the second one can't drop until it ruins the guy we have never met before's car for no real reason. Like, we don't know that that guy's an asshole. Aside from that, he drives a nice car. So there's no real payoff to his car being whoa, destroyed. Well, uh, I don't I mean, how are you doing there, Mr. Wizard? It, that was a Chrysler Sebring. So nice car. I mean, do you need to but, borrow some money, man? But that's how they play it. Like, because that's like, oh, that, no, 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 not my car. That's how you know they ran out of money because they wanted the car to look fancy for comedic value, but didn't have enough money to get something actually nice. So they went with the what looked like a salvaged, you know, stripped out Sebring convertible. Yeah, <laughs> that is a clear indication of uh, we ran out of money. But yeah, it, that was supposed to be a joke, but it wasn't funny because there was no buildup and no payoff. It's just like, oh, look, now the anchor works and it smashes the car. No. Luckily, the dog does survive. That wasn't like some guy in, you know, that had done something like in speed one, he cut off the bus or something. And then you're like waiting for yeah. the payoff for this guy that nearly kills everyone. It's just a random guy in this town. We've never been to who's leaving a grocery store yeah. and he's like, Oh no, no, not my car. And then the anchor drops and you're supposed to be like, ha ha ha. Fuck you guy, guy. We've never met. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, 
anchor hits the car, there are still 10 minutes left in the movie. The boat has stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's ten minutes left, and it's like, okay, now what? Um, but I will add, at this juncture, you do get what I believe is the best line in the movie, and that is, uh, it's it's from uh, plot convenient crew member number one, Django Fett, to Alex Shaw. The ship's parked in the middle of town, but hey, it could have been worse. I'm not exactly sure how, but it could be worse. I mean, that's basically it's like. That's foreshadowing. I mean, I'm not really sure his, this is uh, actually starring in Green Lantern. Yeah, I, I guess so. Because <laughs> he's, he's up well, I, I, in Green Lantern. Yeah, it does foreshadow the end of the movie because I guess the only positive is both Alex Shaw and Annie Porter are still alive. The main character survived. Everything else went to shit. Take a quick break. And when we come back, what are we doing, Chumpzilla? Uh, you know, I've got a couple other general comments on the movie, and then. Quickly, we'll head right into Pop Quiz Hot Shot. We've got a Speed 2 Trivia Challenge. All right. Okay, folks, let's wrap this thing up, because really, we shouldn't focus any more time on the stinker. But I will add this. In addition to trying to wrap up this two-hour movie in this last 10-minute sequence after the boat already stops... We do get a casual reference to police brutality from the LAPD, which I thought was very <laughs> topical. Like right. that just they sprinkled that in there in the last 10 minutes, uh, which that actually gave me a chuckle. That might have been the best joke of the movie, folks. Um, and we get our plane. I can't help but think that comes from that plane idea that somebody pitched to these guys on the get go. We do get our plane that doesn't come into the movie until the very end. And uh, still, the town gets crashed. The oil tanker blows up. They recovered the jewels. The ending of this movie gives almost no closure other than ah, that romantic comedy duo from the first hour of the movie. They finally get their moment. Is that it? Is that that's it? Roll credits. Oh, no, wait. We get a crappy what I'll call mid credit scene of Sandra Bullock going back to her driving instructor and still being a dingbat. Like this movie ends like a wet fart. I'm sorry. Uh, That's basically the equivalent of it. Yes. I mean, can, it, it just, it's just bizarre. It's just really weird. And they thought, that's it. And roll credits. Okay. So, folks, it is that unsatisfying, as you can see from the lack of response from Captain Cash and Mr. Wizard. So, that brings us to our next segment. This will be the Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Five questions. Speed 2 Trivia Challenge. Okay, here's the format, folks. It's pretty simple. This is going to be a general speed, speed 2 trivia challenge because... Frankly, there's just not enough interesting stuff about Speed 2 to fill up five questions, at least in my opinion. So when you buzz in, uh, the first contestant, if they get it right, they get three points. If they get it wrong, the second contestant gets a chance to steal for two. If they get it wrong, it goes back to the first contestant who gets one last shot to get it for one point. If they answer incorrectly, the question is dead in the water just like this movie. Is that format clear, fellas? That makes sense. Let's do it. Yes. All right. And I have got pen and paper here to keep score. And I will start this with question number one. What was the total cost of renting the Seaborn Legend for six weeks? And all of these are going to have five answers. Okay, just for the record. All these will have five answers. Well, we give it to three. Nope. <laughs> A. 2.5 million, 
B, 600,000. C, 1.6 million. D, 6.2 million. Or E, nothing. DeBont's father was on the board of Holland American Cruises, and he was allowed to use the ship while it was being repainted for free. E. I'm going with E, yeah. E. Sadly, you answered first, Mr. Wizard, and you were incorrect. No, Captain so, Cash answered first. I no, did I'm answer first. I, I was trying to help Captain Cash. Or, or, I was, he, folks, Captain Cash is fading. I'm trying to help him out here. Okay, I'm sorry, Captain Cash. You have admitted to answering first. This gives yeah. Mr. Wizard the opportunity to steal. E has been eliminated from the board. Would you like to? Re <clears throat> would you like me to repeat the four remaining answers? Mm, I'm going to go 2.5 million. You're going A, 2.5. That is incorrect. <sighs> Captain Cash, last call, final answer. Is it $600,000, $1.6 million, or $6.2 million? 1.6. Sir, you are correct. That is one Woo. point for Captain Cash. The Seaborn Legend was rented for a daily rate of $38,000 for six weeks. Huh. Translating to roughly $1.6 million. Okay, question number two. the best answer. Even if it's I had not the most true. fun writing that one. <laughs> I was yeah. going to accept it yeah. as true. Because, because uh, yeah, Jan de Bont is, in fact, Dutch. So, okay, moving on. You guys are doing great, by the way. Keep up the excellent work. Question number two. DeBont was a well-known action movie cinematographer before directing Speed and Speed 2. Which of these movies did he not work on? I repeat, did not work on. A, Die Hard. B, The Hunt for Red October. C, Flatliners. D, Lethal Weapon 2. Or E, Basic Instinct. Flatliners. Okay, Captain Cash has answered first, and he is incorrect. Mr. Wizard, would you like to steal? Yes, I'd like to steal. Read those again one more time. The four remaining answers are Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Lethal Weapon 2, and Basic Instinct. Lethal Weapon 2. You, sir, are correct. That is two points for the Thunderous Wizard. Our director, Jan DePont, actually worked on Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, both explains a lot. Both were directed Yeah, both were directed by Richard Donner by the way. Yeah, okay. So, moving on to question number 3, it is 1 point for Captain Cash, 2 for Mr. Wizard who has the lead. Number 3, which of these rock stars was considered for the role of Alex Shaw in Speed 2? A, Rick Springfield. B, Henry Rollins. C, Bono. D, John Bon Jovi. Or E, Jacob Dylan. John Bon Jovi. Oh, that is a bold move there, Mr. Wizard. And you have three points, which brings you to five. You are now firmly in the lead. Okay. Question number four. Which of these A-listers were considered for the role of Jack Travern? I can't. Keanu Reeves' role. I can't say that name for whatever reason. In Speed. A, Alec Baldwin. B, Denzel Washington. C, Bruce Willis, D, Wesley Snipes, or E, Michael Keaton? Well, I know Snipes was, so I guess that's my answer. So Snipes, Snipes, I choose Snipes. No, yeah, well, you can't jump in. That, that, was, that was Captain Captain Cash, you were too late there, that was Mr. Wizard's call. And he is correct, Wesley Snipes 
was in fact considered for the role because some motherfuckers are always trying to sail uphill. And actually, fun fact, the first choice for the role was not Alec Baldwin, but Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. Baldwin. The lesser Baldwin. Baldwin. (laughs) He turned it down. Stephen Baldwin turned it down. Yeah. Captain Cash, you are in Chumpzilla territory tonight because turn down speed. Mr. Wizard is running away with this right now. It is eight to one, folks. I'm sorry, but I just checked the math and Captain Cash is statistically eliminated from winning tonight. But that's okay. We'll allow him to continue to participate because you know what? He's a nice guy and gosh darn it, we like him. Okay, so number five, the fifth and final question. Which of these actresses was considered for the role of Annie Porter? And speed. A. Halle Berry. B. Marissa Tomei. C. Mary McDonald. D. Ellen DeGeneres. Or E. Christy Swanson. Tomei, because she's the most bullock like I can do. I like where your head's at. She was fresh off uh, uh, my cousin Vinny fame, but that is an incorrect answer, Captain Cash. Well, Mr. Wizard, would you like a chance to uh, steal? DeGeneres and Halle Berry were, were both considered. Uh, I will clarify. I'm asking about the uh, Annie Porter as we saw her on screen, not as she was originally written, if that helps clarify. So Ellen DeGeneres. That would be correct. So that brings us to a total of <laughs> 10 points. 10 to 1. Mr. Wizard is is the runaway winner of the Pop Quiz Hot Shot Trivia Challenge. Yes, you're correct. Ellen DeGeneres well was considered for the actual role of Annie when she was originally written as an African-American paramedic, Halle Berry was considered for the I role. I will tell you this. Ellen DeGeneres as Annie tanks speed one. That's I a, think it would hurt UHF. <laughs> I could not imagine her in that role. As I said on the front end, I really enjoy the casting quirks of some of these movies to see the people that are considered for them because... Can you imagine like a radically different history where like Ellen had gotten more movie roles? Because basically she's famous now for a talk show and doing the Nemo movies. But there's an alternate reality, probably one without Trump and the coronavirus, where she's like a legit like, you know, comedic movie star like uh, Melissa McCarthy or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You mean not the darkest timeline, not the darkest timeline. OK. Yes. Yes. And not a different timeline that's not nearly as dark as we're in now but yeah she was obviously in the running for a lot of roles at some point in time it'd be really interesting to see what some of these folks have turned down in the past i guess that's what i'm trying to say or didn't get well it's really interesting to know that stephen baldwin had the stones to turn down speed you know what you're a much better film buff than i am mr wizard but the two big ones that stick out to me are will smith turning down the matrix to keanu reeves benefit and Kurt Russell auditioning for Han Solo. Well, I mean, so many people auditioned for Han Solo. That wouldn't have been as... I, I love Kurt Russell. I think he could have done it. But Pacino as Han Solo is a disaster. Is there film of that? Is Millennium Falcon apart. Is there film of that? I'd like to see a film of that. Because there's film of Kurt Russell. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying those are really interesting what-ifs. Oh, yeah. And there's, there is a lot of them over time. But anyway, I think that pretty much sums up all we can say about Speed 2. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Not uh, good. I'm not going to nominate it as a candidate for worst movie of the pod for the shit movie championship since I just did Cutthroat Island. But if one of you two were, I'd gladly hear the argument. I will. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I run the gauntlet down. This movie looks bad. It's written bad. It goes nowhere. It sucks. Save the money it for doesn't the trial. show up on screen. Okay, thank you. Save Challenge it for the trial. issued. Uh, we'll do that next episode when Captain Cash does Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Rise of the most cliche. Do we want to do recommendations yeah. before we close up shop? Or... Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. My, so my recommendation is this. If you can't stay at home, stay at home. Wash your hands. Try to self-isolate if possible. It's weird times. Don't panic. Don't hoard. Help who you can. Listen to the pod. It's there for you. Review it. And communicate yep. with us on social about how we're all miserable sitting indoors. Yeah. Hey, it's nice that I, you know, that we can do this together, guys, uh, remotely, because, uh, frankly, you know, this is the kind of thing we wouldn't do in person, even if we could at this point. Nope. Like everybody, everybody's got little kids at home and, you know, I was trying to stay safe and make uh, choices that work for us. And I think as Captain Cash said, take care, take care of your neighbors. We'll get through this strange times, but my recommendation ties back to my painful loss last week. Somehow I was unable to politic the evils of Scientology to secure the <laughs> shit movie championship belt for Battlefield Earth because it does because it's a distic- despicable <clears throat> excuse me institution and it's a god awful movie. But there's some music I can now enjoy guilt free because I recently uh, became aware that Beck has left the Church of Scientology. Oh, good for Beck. Yeah, and you now granted, he came by at Honest, he grew up in it, um, and his parents were Scientologists, so anyway, and his wife was too, but he's he's left the church now. And in honor of that fact, I would recommend checking out the deluxe version of his 1996 album, Odelay. Again, this takes us back to the days of Speed 2, simpler times in the mid to late 90s. Uh, I hadn't listened to this album in a long time. I owned it when I was in high school, and I listened to the crap out of it. I enjoyed it then, but it didn't really stick with me. But I heard good things about this deluxe version that was released back in 08. So I finally bought it on iTunes because I read the news about it, I believe, in Scientology, and I somehow felt okay giving them 16 bucks now because the deluxe version is a double album. It's got a bunch of extra cuts, unreleased stuff, remixes and all that. And wow, it takes me right back to 1996 and the remixes and some stuff are excellent and it's interesting. So if you're a Beck fan, check it out if you haven't, because I slept on it and honestly, it's great. So I'm glad I picked it up. It is a great album. You know, I've, I've watched some stuff, but not a whole lot. Here's what I'm going to recommend, because you might as well laugh while you're Hanging out indoors. Watch Love is Blind on Netflix. It is a delightfully trashy and scripted reality television dating show about a group of people who essentially propose to somebody else without ever seeing them. It is such bad television, and it is hilarious. And it will get you through some of these times, and then, you know, next week I'll have a better recommendation. You can watch that, but it, I've... Never laugh so hard at one bad reality acting and two such an absurd premise for a show. Okay, hold on. Full disclosure, listeners. Mr. Wizard was a big fan of Laguna Beach. Loved it. When it aired. 
it was the weirdest damn thing I've ever seen. He and a group of other college-aged males would sit around and watch this show religiously. I'm not a big reality TV fan, so don't think that he somehow just stumbled across this genre that he's now recommending. He has been a trash TV fan for as long as I've known him. And it's the weirdest damn thing because he's kind of a movie snob. But when it comes to TV, he just drops straight to the lowest common denominator. It's it's strange, folks. I, I've taken he may or may not have been on Truth Be Sure. It's fine. I've taken a hiatus from most trash TV, but this one was a sight to behold. Okay. Well, and that, hey, folks, that, uh, I, I guess what I'm really trying to say is he is a trash TV connoisseur. So take his recommendations with, you know, as legit. It is. Seriously. You got to see it. You got to. Good stuff. Well, hey, I appreciate the time, gentlemen. Thanks for letting me quasi-host tonight. I'm looking forward to Silver Surfer because that movie is almost as bad as Speed 2. Uh, because yes, it has yes, so much yes. but Only because it has so much potential and fails to realize any of it. wildly. Certainly the ending is about as bad a comic book film ending as there is. Yeah. That's about yeah. all I can say. That's fair. That and, checks uh, out. So we will see you next time. Bad action sequels month. And again. Stay home. Stay safe. Avoid public crowds. We'll get through this together. Avoid cruise ships for Pete's sake. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If, if, if this movie can teach us anything, it's that cruise ships are bad ideas. Just stay away. Don't bother. It never ends well. Will, Willem Dafoe virus. That was a stretch. That was a stretch. Good night, everybody. I tried. Good night. <laughs>